have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. We have about two more weeks, three more weeks, counting today, in the book of James. James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Be patient. Two words we love to hear, don't we? I'm just going to say them one more time, nice and slow, so you can enjoy and savor them. Be, listen to me, patient. I asked Aaron last night, who's eight, I said, uh, do you like it when you hear the words, be patient? He didn't know anything. It was a random conversation I had with him. And he said, no. And I, I asked him, why? He said, because it takes too long. That's true. James is saying the exact thing to us. We don't like things that make us impatient. I looked up, you Google what makes us impatient. Here's the top three things that come up. Fast food, love, and the internet. Fast food has making us, there's studies been done, fast food makes us an impatient people. Even just the thought of fast food, all of you just jumped a little bit, according to the studies. That just to hear the idea of fast food, everybody instantly gets a little bit impatient. Love makes us impatient. And the internet has changed our whole society and culture that we are impatient. Be patient, James says. Be patient. Your car will be finished in a few more days. We don't like that. Be patient. You will find the right person someday. Just be patient, single ladies or single guys. Be patient. We are put in the process of putting up a few more cell towers. Sprint will work in a little bit. You may have that problem. Be patient. We will call you about the job opening. Some of you are just getting angry just hearing these things because this is the real world that we live in, isn't it? We are constantly having to be patient, told to be patient because we live in a world that needs us to be patient. What does James talk about? What's he mean when he says be patient? What he means is be patient. He's talking to a bunch of people, Christians who are, have been scattered about. They're, in a, all over, they're not where they were, where their family's at. They're not where their friends are at. They are a dispersed group of people have all kinds of problems going on in their life, all kinds of struggles, worse than what we're going through. And he says to them, be patient. And he says the same things to us. Be patient when things don't go your way. Be patient when things really don't go your way. And be patient when things really, really, really don't go 
your way. Anybody have any problems with doing that? So easy, isn't it? Just to wait and be patient. We don't have that problem. Here's why we need to be patient. Because if you're not patient, it leads to grumbling, which you'll be judged for, he says. And it also leads, I think, to constant wavering. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. So don't be impatient. Be patient, because if you're not, it will lead to grumbling. We'll see why that is tragic, and it'll lead to this constant wavering back and forth of our faith with God. Have you ever ran up just running and hit a wall or something that felt like a brick wall? Have you ever done that? I've done that. You ran, and you hit a brick wall. I was playing basketball as a... uh, uh, junior higher in a game one time, and the ref that was there was a very, very big man. And I'm running down the field, running down the court as fast as I can. I hit him, boom, right to the ground. He didn't move. I went all over the place. God's not going to move. God's purposes will be accomplished. And so if we are constantly wavering back and forth with our impatience, our grumbling, it's like we're running up against a a brick wall, and the judge is coming for that. You say, well, people are doing that all the time, Paul. People are just living however they want, and they seem to be getting away with it. They seem like everything's fine with them. Why do we have to be patient? Why does he say brothers and sisters? Christians, why do Christians have to be patient? Because we look around the world and it seems like everybody just gets what they want if they push and if they push. It's not true. If you've ever had a little kid and you've seen moms do this and they're holding their kid and the, 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 he's just screaming and crying and flailing all over the place and the mom's having, trying to have a conversation, moms get really good at this. They're holding them, the kid can be screaming, flailing everywhere and the mom is going to stay focused on her purpose and have her conversation done. That child is going to get whatever he wants flailing around. He'll wave his arms, he'll kick and scream, and he thinks that if he just keeps doing that, he's getting his way, and he looks kind of like he's free. But he's not free because the mom has control of him, and he will be judged when she's done with her purposes. And God does the same thing for us And for the unbelieving world who's out there flailing their arms, thinking they're getting away with whatever they want and doing whatever they want, and we as Christians, when we flail our arms and think we get away with it, we think, I can can sin, I can do whatever I want. God's not judging me. See, I'm making money. I'm having fun. We're like this little child that's just flailing around, thinks that they're free, and thinks that they won't be judged. God says his purposes will always be done. So be patient because it leads to grumbling and constant wavering. What is patience? James uses two different words in this passage for patience. The first one is this idea of long-temperedness. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. It's like set the clock. Set the timer and just wait. This long-temperedness. We need this. Because Proverbs 14, 7 says, A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. It's an idea. Patience is the idea of this long, set your clock and just wait for the timer. Jesus, God's coming back. And it's also this idea of perseverance at the bottom of this passage. Endure difficult 
things. He means both of them together. He puts them both together in Colossians chapter 1. He said, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Do you have patience? Is this something that you're concerned about? Is your life just filled with constant impatience, grumbling, complaining, grumbling, complaining, pushing and pushing and not waiting? James says, this is for us. Be patient, therefore, brothers. We are called to be patient because grumbling, it says in verse 7, implies that things are not going the way we want them to go. And so we start to grumble. This is not the plan that we had. And so because I'm not getting what I wanted in my way, it's all about me. It's selfishness. That's what the heart of grumbling is. It's just this heart of selfishness. Grumbling is not being able to get our own needs met, not getting what we want. And it's very serious because James says the judge is standing at the door. He's very close. He's going to arrive very soon. James is very seriously talking to the church, and he just a few verses before that, talked to the unsaved, wealthy, rich who were treating people poorly. And now he says, brings it right back to them and says, now church, Christians, followers of God, be patient. Develop patience. Don't be grumbling. It's people of faith who are in Christ. The way you know you have true faith is if you have patience. If you live without patience, if you live in a constant state of grumbling, in a constant state of your way all the time, and that's your, the pattern of your life, James says that is not a sign of somebody who is truly in the faith. So wake up, because the people who are not in the faith, the rich, the ones who have been treating you poorly, they're not patient, because if they're patient, they'd be treating you nicely. People who don't know God aren't patient. They're, not in, they're, they're impatient, so they treat people poorly. It's all about them. And if the church acts like that, there's not going to be any difference. And if you're in the church and you think you're okay, but you're constantly impatient, you have no desire to give up but yourself, then maybe you're not in the faith. So true faith is demonstrated by patience. And he says, the church should not be grumbling. Brothers and sisters, do not grumble against one another. We grumble, don't we? It's very easy to grumble. We can murmur. The Old Testament, the Jews, the nation of Israel did this. this is what they, they just murmured and they grumbled and they grumbled. It's kind of this dull roar that makes up people's lives. And in small towns, I think the small town culture that we live in is a culture that is built on this concept of grumbling. Our whole structure is built on grumbling, partly because I think 
And it also then can affect churches that are in small towns. I think it's because we know people, don't we? We know the mayor. We know the alderman. He's our neighbor. We, we know the, the, the principal of the school. We know the guy that owns the store and the restaurant. When things don't go our way, we grumble and complain because we think that we know the guy, so he should treat us better. I, I, I helped him shovel his yard one day. Now he's treating him this way? I voted for him, and, and now he's doing this to me? And we live in a culture that I think we have to fight against, but it's a culture of grumblers. And that's the culture, I think, of small towns. We, we, our relationships, often, if we're not careful, think about our relationships are like we're bankers or brokers when it comes to our grumbling. In this area, we will walk around and see people that if in our relationships with people, we are okay, we go meet with them. If they offend us or hurt us, they take out from our deposit. And if they, then they, we, we let them eventually, since we have to see them all the time, we'll let them earn a little bit of money back. And so our relationship is okay, but we cover it up and smooth it over in the meantime by grumbling about them to somebody else. And we'll just grumble, and we will grumble. And if people have the audacity to come quickly at us and take too much out at once, then we just foreclose on them altogether and we're done with them. And so when we see them in the area, we see them in the neighborhood, we don't talk to them, we avoid them, and we live in small towns filled with people who see each other on Route 34 and never will talk to each other, will never address them because their relationships are all about banking and they took too much out of their bank and so they just grumbled about them and then they took way too much out of their bank so they foreclosed on them and now it's just okay to mumble and grumble and complain and then we try to get other vendors to not do anything with them. That's how we grumble. So we'll say, hey, don't, don't hang out with them. I'm not coming over to your house if you invite them there. I'm not going to be with them. And so my, you're my vendors. I need you in my relationships, but you can't be with these other people. Is that not the culture that we live in? Is it not the culture that we live in when you drive around and see people? And James says that's dangerous. And when that culture of grumbling and foreclosing and trying to get them to not be a part of your network and cut them off makes up believers and Christians. James says it's not supposed to be. We, brothers and sisters, are to be patient because the judge, James says, is standing at the door. It's being noticed by God. He sees it all. And so we have to fight against even our own culture and our own society that says, you know, it's okay to grumble and complain about people. It's okay to do that. You know, they, they hurt you a little bit. So soothe yourselves by grumbling about them. Come on, let me hear about it. It's okay. We, we, we know we don't really mean it anyway. We know we're going to see them at church next week. We'll know we'll, I'm still going to go to arts and shop there. It's okay to badmouth the place. It's not okay, James says. We've got to fight against it because the judge is standing at the door and watching it. But the only way we're going to see how sinful our attitude of grumbling is and how much is against impatience is if we recognize who Jesus is and what he has done for us. 
Because if we were to take one moment and realize that, you know what? Jesus came for me. And I grumbled and complained, and I bankrupted him by rebelling. Yet he still came for me, and he forgave me. The only way we're going to be able to overcome this is by seeing what Jesus did for us on the cross and saying, you know what? Wow. He did that for me. That's the picture I need to do for other people. If not, we will never, never be able to not overcome this natural desire to grumble and complain. So how do we develop? How do we develop patience? James says this. The way we develop the right kind of patience that pleases God, that we are called to as Christians, over and over again he says it in the passage, is we have to be active in patience. He says, look at the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and latter rains. When James was writing to these people, they were Mediterranean farmers. Most of their rain would have come in like November and December, but they did get some rain in the early spring and in the, in the early fall. And most people, these farmers, had small plots of food, small fields, and they would make just enough to survive for the year. And this farmers, they would live off the land, and then they would plant their food again, but just enough for most of them to survive. But they had to actively be a part of the farm, waiting for the rain. They couldn't control it. It was completely out of their control for the rain to come in the spring and in the end. But imagine if you're a farmer, and you got a family that's very hungry. you got a little daughter. She's six years old. It's kind of a sparse harvest last year. You weren't able to save as much stuff. It's the beginning of the middle of the year, and all of a sudden you go to the crops, and you're really living in hunger. You just constantly are living in hunger. They didn't have all the fast food that we did. They lived in a state of somewhat hunger, and your daughter's really hungry, and the food is starting to come up, and the field is getting a little bit up, but it's not fully where it's supposed to be yet. And the farmer's temptation could be to be impatient and say, oh, that looks so good. We can get it now, and we can fill our stomachs. We can take it out now. But he says, don't do that. A farmer has to be active in his patience. He has to walk past his fields, even in the midst of some hunger, and say, no, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to be patient because if I wait for the early and the fall rains, when the harvest is completely full, then I will be able to enjoy for the wintertime. I have to wait. I can't take it out now. So we have to be active in our patience. You can't just desire and expect that you're going to be patient. We live in a culture that says don't be patient. We live in a culture that says grumble and complain. We live in a culture that says that's okay. God says it's not okay. We have to be active in this patience. You say, well, I can do that. I can be active in my patience. I can let people take advantage of me. I can let people have their way. That's fine. Wouldn't that be like heaven if I'm just that way? I'm just letting people do whatever they want. I'm just being good and kind and patience. I, I, I develop this skill. Wouldn't that be good? That'd be like heaven for me, right? No. That would be, make you a very good moralist. There are people who don't follow Jesus 
who have better patience than some Christians do. They're very good morally. That's still going to get you to hell. You will still be judged, the Bible says. Because the way of hell is if people just do things the way they want to do it. Take it out when they want. Harvest when they want. And then there are people who say, no, I'm not going to do that. I can see the benefit of waiting. I can see the benefit of patience. It will help me in my career. I can see that. I can work the system. And they're just nice people. That's not heaven. It's not Christianity. That's being very moral. So we need something more than just being active in our patience. We need actual patience. James says, look as an example at the suffering and patience of the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purposes of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We need real patience that was developed by real people who really heard the voice of God. Just being patient as a moralist is not enough. We need a transforming gospel patience that will magnify Jesus Christ and transform lives. There was a guy in the 19th century who became a pastor, but before he became a pastor, his name was Richard Weaver. He was an underground street fighter, tough, big guy, worked in the coal mines, and one day he was down in the coal mines. He became a believer after this rough life. He, became, he accepted Christ as a savior. He would fight anybody on any given day. Well, one day after he became a Christian, he went down to the coal mines and another co-worker had stolen his cart and taken his stuff. And Richard got a little upset about it. He took his stuff, so he walked over to the guy and he said, I want my stuff back. And the guy said, are you kidding me? I'm not going to give it back to you. And so the guy punched Richard Weaver right in the face. And Richard Weaver, everything in him, before he was a Christian, before he was gospelly transformed by patience, would have decked that guy. He would have just crushed him and laid him out. But instead, Richard Weaver turned around and he said, hit the other cheek. And the guy punched him again. And the guy, Richard, stood up and hit the other cheek. And he punched him again. And he hit the other cheek and he punched him again. Five times. Richard Weaver let this guy punch him in the face. It was on a Friday. He went home, and his wife sees him. Richard Weaver's wife, who was a Christian and accepted Christ first. She sees him. His face is all bloody, and her first thought is, Oh, Richard, you did it. You got in a fight. You ruined your testimony for Jesus Christ. He said, No. I let the guy punch me. And Richard Weaver said, Went through the weekend, went to church, And he says, as he walked in, the guy's name was Tom, sitting there. And this is the story. It's from the 19th century. Tom was the first man I saw. I said, good morning. Richard's writing this. But got no reply. He went down first. When I got down, I was surprised to see him sitting on the wagon waiting for me. When I came to him, he burst into tears and said, Richard, will you forgive me for striking you? And Richard said, I have forgiven you. And he said, I asked God to forgive you. The Lord bless you. I gave him my hand and went back each of us to work. After, I, after a time, I heard someone coming towards me, sobbing as he came. It was Tom. He said he could not rest until he felt sure he was forgiven. He told me he had sent his wife to our house to ask for my forgiveness on Sunday, but I was out. Oh, Richard, he said, do you really forgive me? I said, yes, I bless thee. We got down on our knees. He who had wounded 
was graciously pleased to hear our cry and to heal. And Tom went back to his work rejoicing. Before parting from this incident, I should say that the Lord had given me an exceedingly joyous Sunday. He was a preacher and worked during the week. He had also on that day given me to see some others of my class turning to the Lord. Would I have had either of these blessings had I struck back on that Sunday? Had he decided to take his own harvest early and punch the guy, what would have happened? But because he had gospel transformation and patience, Tom got saved and other guys on Sunday accepted Christ. We need real, genuine, active patience. Look at the prophets. Take a look at the prophets. If you look at the Old Testament prophets, these are people that God said, this is the way it's going to be for you. This is what I want for you. Isaiah, I want you to preach for years and people aren't going to believe you. Jeremiah, I want you to preach for years. Your life is going to be a, a, just a hellish mess. People are going to hate you, but that's what I want you to do. Job, who really didn't suffer all that well, but what he did do was he held on to God, because it demonstrated the goodness of God. We need to see actual patience. God's never promised us that it would just go well for us. We are going to suffer, the Bible says. And James is talking to people who really suffer. Are you, are you suffering a little bit? Are you ready to cash in and harvest early? James says, don't do it. Be patient. You say, well, Paul, I want to be active in patience. I see the example of the prophets. I see Hosea, I see Jeremiah, I see Isaiah. I don't know if I can do it. What about the real injustices that have happened to me? What about the things that have really happened? There's been real injustices, haven't there? People have really hurt you in some way. What about those? What's God going to do about those? Look at James 5, verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What are you going to do about the real injustices that you've suffered? You're going to realize that the Lord of hosts has heard those cries. God has seen the injustice. And he's coming back to judge. It is, he's coming back. Be patient, for the coming of the Lord is near. The cry of the harvesters has heard. This is what God's going to do to those who don't repent, who continue to live in injustice. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. God's coming back as a judge. He is coming back soon as a judge. God will take care of all those injustices. He will right all the wrongs. These people that James talked about in James 5, they didn't avenge themselves. They didn't do it. He said they were You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. He does not avenge himself. So brothers, be patient. Others 
have been active in their patience. Others have really suffered in their patience. Don't harvest early. Wait. Be patient because the judge hears it all. Any injustice that you think God didn't hear, he heard it all. He will avenge them. God is the ultimate avenger. Those who have true faith trust that God is the ultimate avenger. And the ones who have true faith take a position of humble, active patience. Iron Man is not the ultimate avenger. Captain America is not the ultimate avenger. The Hulk is not the ultimate avenger. Thor is not the ultimate avenger. God is the ultimate avenger. And he will make things that are wrong right, and he will restore them. Don't take it in your own hands. God's the judge. But don't grumble either, church, because God is also our judge, and he's standing at the door. You know what this should do for us? This should give us great hope. When we're living in this culture, we're living around people that are grumbling and complaining, things are falling apart, this gives us great hope to know God's the avenger. I can be patient. I can work hard in his ministry that he calls me to. Because even though I don't understand it and things look wrong and messed up, God will make things right. And ultimately, he did through Jesus Christ. This gives us great hope. Jesus died for every offense. And the only person that never got avenged was Jesus. All your sins, all my sins were dumped on Jesus. We can go to God the Father and cry out, help me, and he hears our cry. Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, nobody was there to hear his cry and he took it willingly for you. He died for every gossipy, grumbling, complaining thought you ever had and he took it and he took it and nobody was there to avenge him. He did it for you and he did it for me. So we can have hope, and we can have patience. What's your position today? Are you in the middle of a time of grumble? Are you in the middle of a time of just complaining? Are you losing your patience? Then take that to the beauty of the cross. Give it to Jesus. Remind yourself of the gospel, and claim him to claim the hope of gospel transformed, transformed patience and be patient. Let's pray. Everybody head bowed and eyes closed. In a moment, we're just going to go right into communion where we come to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Not just the sins of 20 years ago, not just the sins of 10 weeks ago, but the sins of this past week. Jesus took them all. I encourage you just to take it and examine your life and your heart. Ask God to help you be patient, repent of your impatience, and take it to the cross. to blow